If you could grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Judges chapter 17. It'll be printed in your bulletin. It'll also be on the screen behind me. We are nearing the end of our study through the book of Judges. And we have been looking this fall and tracing the theme through this book of God's rebellious people, which is Israel in the context, but it's us, right? And we've also been looking at the theme of God at the very same time. God's people are rebellious, but God has a relentless and an amazing grace for his people. And so throughout our study this fall, I hope you've learned those two things. I hope you've learned something about yourself in your own heart. But at the same time, I I have hoped more than anything that you have seen something about the amazing character and the amazing grace of God. Uh, This morning we come to chapter 17, which is the story of Micah. Uh, In some ways, the story of the judges essentially ended with Samson because you're going to see very quickly uh, he's the last judge and what we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks is nothing like uh, what we've been looking at. What I mean is the cycle in which the, you know, the people would fall into sin and God would send an oppressor and then they would cry out and then God would send a judge to deliver them. Uh, that's over. That essentially ended with Samson and in these last chapters um, the narrator takes us onto the ground level in Israel. He gives us a detailed picture of what life was like in Israel during the time. You'll see that the the name of the Lord's barely mentioned in these last chapters. And so the narrator is making a point to show us uh, what it was like and what it's like when people are left to their own resources. Friends, these final chapters of the book of Judges are so bleak and so troubling uh, that very rarely are they preached on, and very rarely are they possibly even read or talked about in a small group. And uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you, there's a note in the bulletin about next week. Please read Judges chapter 19 before you walk in here next week. Okay, we will have alternate programming for your children if you don't feel comfortable with them being uh, in the service. And all you need to do to understand where we're going next week is to read the passage. Uh, It is hard to read. Uh, It will make your uh, stomach turn. But it's in the Bible, and we're going to talk about it next week. This week, we're going to be looking at Judges 17 where the author is taking us inside an Israelite home. He takes us inside the home of Micah and his mother. And what he is showing us next week, he's going to show us what it's right, morally speaking, to do what is right in your own eyes. This week, we're going to see what it looks like spiritually when we do what is right in our own eyes. I think you'll see what I mean as... We read this passage. Follow along as I read Judges 17, 1 through 6. This is God's word. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. 
He restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. and Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to bless the reading and hearing and teaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would come. We need your spirit. We cannot understand these things without you. And so we need you to take this passage and apply it to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, we wouldn't just go through the motions this morning, that we would really take to heart what you're telling us. Convict, um, encourage, bring correction where it's needed. Uh, But more importantly, show us what a good king you are and that you have sent Jesus uh, and he is good and gracious to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow uh, marks the end of the college football season. And so if you are a college football fan, uh, this is uh, possibly a tough time of year for you. Because after tomorrow evening, there is no more college football until next fall. Uh, As you know, Notre Dame was in the college playoffs again this year. And as I was watching one of these playoff games uh, over the last couple of weeks, I was reminded of the last time uh, that Notre Dame was in the playoffs. And they had a player on their team. You might remember all the controversy and all the media attention that Manti Teo received. And I don't know if you remember the story, maybe this will jog your memory, but he had been catfished. You know what a catfish is? A catfish is someone who pretends to be someone else using social media in order to create a false identity or a false persona. And they do it particularly in order to pursue deceptive online relationships. Well, that's what happened to Teo. And he had an online relationship with this girl that never existed. And it's crazy if you listen to the story. It's hard to believe. He actually met this girl but found out later that it wasn't really her. But he thought it was real. He thought it was genuine. He thought it was heartfelt. Only to find out that it was a sham. That it was fake. That it wasn't real you to take that idea, and I want you to apply it this morning. We're going to apply it to our spiritual lives. Because the Bible says that it is entirely possible for us to think that we have a genuine, heartfelt, real relationship with God, but in the end, it's only a sham, and it's fake. And also that... You, you could have other people in your life around you 
encouraging you and reinforcing the fiction, the fiction and reinforcing your relationship with a fake God. And so here's the question, which I think is a very relevant question for the religious South. How do you know if your relationship with God is a sham or if it's real? How do you know? Well, three ways. You need to look at your heart. You need to look at your worship. And thirdly, you need to look at your king. So let's look at those three things. Number one, look at your heart. So this story is about a man by the name of Micah and his mother. And on the outside, they look really religious. On the outside, we look at them and they appear to be devoted followers of God. How do we see that? How do we see their, uh, them being religious? Well, first of all, Micah appears, appears to repent, doesn't he? Okay, he gets caught, and he turns the silver back over, the 1,100 pieces of silver that he's stolen. He turns that back over and gives it back to his mom. That's good. He gives it to her, and his mother blesses him. Uh, and so Micah is not a bad person in some senses. He's got a conscience. And so he appears to repent, and his mother appears to be forgiving, which is a good thing. We also see, uh, secondly, that they say the right things. A lot of good religious language going on in this household. Verse 2, notice the mother is blessing her son, but look at what name she's blessing him in. You're looking at your Bible, you'll see the Lord written in all caps. That's the God of the Bible. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant personal name for God. And so she's using orthodox language. She's not saying, blessed be my son by Dagon or by Baal or some other pagan god. She's using the right language. But she's also, they're doing the right things too. If you look at verse 3, she takes this 1,100 pieces of silver and she gives it to the church. She says, I'm going to give it away. And so she donates it to the church. Later in the story, verse 5, Micah has a shrine and he makes an ephod. An ephod was a priestly garment that is described in the Old Testament. And so you get the sense that they're trying to follow the Old Testament law. Okay, so here's the picture. At first glance, this seems like a nice, sweet Christian household. They're sensitive to sin. The mother is forgiving towards her son. They use all the right language, God talk, and they do all the right things. They're trying to follow these regulations in the Bible, and they're giving their money away. That's what it appears on the surface. But when we dig a little deeper and see what's going on underneath the surface, surface, we see an entirely different picture. Micah has stolen the 1,100 pieces of silver from his own mother, but the question is, why did he give it back? (laughs) Not because he was convicted, but because he heard his mother uttering a curse on whoever stole the money. And so he gets afraid, and he gives the money back, not because it's the right thing to do, but because he doesn't want to curse to fall on him. Micah is a picture of worldly and false repentance, not true repentance. And so then the question is, so what? What does this have to do? Let's bring this down to 2018 
take, bring it down to us this morning. You see, Micah is the person who lives a double life. Micah is the person who uses the right language and comes to all the religious gatherings. And, le- and yet, outside of those gatherings, he lives a very morally ugly life. Micah is the businessman who professes to be a Christian. But he conducts his business and work life in very unchristian ways. Micah is the person who thinks they're a Christian because they're doing all the right things and all the religious stuff, but their heart has not actually changed. They don't really love Jesus. They don't really want to serve Jesus and obey Jesus. In other words, the relationship is hollow. It's a sham. There's nothing to it. Verse 4. Micah's mom has her 1,100 pieces of silver, and she says, out of gratitude, I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord. I'm going to give my money away to this silversmith and have him make an image. We'll talk more about that in the next point. But what I want you to see here is she gives 200 pieces of silver to have this this idol carved. And that should automatically bring up the question, wait a minute, I thought... We had 1,100 pieces of silver that we were going to dedicate. What happened to the other 900 pieces? Well, she kept it. You see, she filled out her pledge card, and she walked up and she dropped it in the plate, but in reality, she was holding back. Publicly, she was saying, look at all the money I'm giving. I'm going to give 1,100. I'm going to give it all. And then the plate gets passed around, and she only drops a check in the plate for 200 And it's easy for us to hear this this morning and to think, how, how could they? I mean, wow. And to be appalled by what we see going on in this passage. But we all have our 900 pieces of silver, don't we? We all, including me, we all have these things in our lives that we are white-knuckling, these 900 pieces of silver, and it might be different for each one of us, but we refuse to give over to God. Where are you tricking yourself this morning, and where are you tricking others into thinking that you're really godly? Where are you tricking them into thinking that you're really religious, but in reality you're actually holding back And actually making a deal with God. You know what it's like to make a deal with God? You ever make a deal with God? I make deals with God all the time. You know how many times I've said, God, look at what I've done for you. Look at how much I've moved my family all over the world for you. All over the nation. Give me a break here. You ever do that with God? I do that with God. What is your 900 pieces of silver? What are you holding back this morning? And yes, I know that's a hard way to start the new year. But I think it's a good question to start the new year. I think it's a challenging question. Secondly, how do you know if your spiritual life's a sham or real? Well, first of all, you've got to look at your heart. Secondly, you've got to look at your worship. Look at verses 3 through 5. With the money... Uh, that she gets back from her son, she takes it and makes an image or an idol. We're 
We're going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, hopefully you see the problem with that. But then look at Micah. He essentially just starts his own church. Uh, he, sits up, he, he sets up a worship center complete with a shrine and an ephod. And he says, well, we don't have any ministers, so I'm just going to make my son. Who cares what the, the Old Testament says and the rules and the laws? I'm going to make my son the priest. Friends, that's startling. Because again, think about uh, point one. They claim, they're, they, they're claimed to be following the Lord. They claim to be following God. But they have a disregard for the second commandment where God says, you shall not make an image of me. Here's what I want you to see. Notice that when Micah's mom goes and crafts this God, she is not worshiping another God. You see that? She's not worshiping another God, but she is worshiping a reduced God. And you might say, well, okay, well then what's the, what's the problem with that? Why, why is this such a big deal? I mean, they had good intentions, Jason, come on. Here's the problem, and this is why God doesn't like us to make images of him. Because when you make an image of God, it will always conceal as much as it reveals. Let me give you an example. Let's take their example with this this, uh, uh, idol, this metal idol that they have created from the silversmith. Let's say they get that thing back, and it's shiny with the best silver you've ever seen. And it is, they put these uh, jewels in it to really make it shine and sparkle so that it captivates you. Well, in a one sense, you could look at that and say it reveals the beauty of God and the glory and the majesty of God. But what does it conceal? It conceals a lot, doesn't it? It doesn't show you God's grace. It doesn't show you His goodness and love and power. You see, a graven image is something that is made by us. And it could be something we create in our minds. But the problem is that it is made by us. That we have made God into our image to fit us, to make uh, us comfortable and to make life work for us. I love this quote by Keller. He says this of Micah's mother. She has whittled God down. This is now a God that you can put in your purse. A God that you can take and leave. A God that you can manage, tame, and make comfortable. So how does this look today? What does it look like? Chances are you don't have a golden image that you're bowing down to when you walk in the door when you get home this evening. And so what would it look like for us to do this to God today? In many ways, I think this is really the sin of our time. What does it look like? Well, several things, but let me just make a couple of uh, notes of application. We make God in our image when we consciously uh, reject the very clear way that he's revealed himself in in Scripture. And so we look at a part of God and we say, I like that part of God, but man, I don't like to think of God as being uh, wrathful or just. I just like to think of God as being loving and good, and gracious. And what we're really saying is that our culture's distaste for this idea means that we got to drop it and kind of move it out of our lives. In other words, we must have a God that fits our cultural sensibilities. 
And when we do that, and we do it all the time, when we do that, we essentially do exactly what Mike and his family do. We reshape God into our image rather than letting God reshape us into his image. The other way we do it is through subjective morality. What is subjective morality? Well, it's when we go to the Bible and the Bible says one thing and we know it's clearly wrong in Scripture and, and we just ignore it. We kind of think, ah, I know it says that, but I've prayed about it. I used to hear this all the time with college students. I've prayed about it and I feel a peace about this. And so I'm just going to do whatever it is that I want to do. That's what Micah did. They followed God up to a point, uh, but then it got hard, and so they twisted him and they added to him so that they could still do whatever it was that they wanted to do. And here's the problem with all of that. When we do that with God, in whatever ways you do that, it makes it impossible to have a real intimate relationship with God. Why? Well, think about your relationships, okay? Just practically. And with real relationships that you have with another person, that person can contradict you, right? That person can push back and correct you and upset you, and you end up feeling, it feels like you're wrestling with that person in a sense. But if you hang in there with that person and you wrestle with them and let them push back on you, what does that do in the relationship? It leads to deeper intimacy, doesn't it? It leads to deeper respect between you. Do you have a God this morning that can contradict you? Do you have a God that can push back on you? Or do we ignore the parts of God we don't like? And when we do that, and we don't let God contradict us, and we never let God tell us no, and we never wrestle with Him, and we never let Him make demands on us, we end up making God into our own image instead of worshiping God as he really is. And when we do that, we'll never have a real relationship with him. Don't miss this. Okay, this uh, next week, uh, we're going to see morally, but spiritually, this is what it looks like when a culture does what is right in their own eyes. And this ought to be a wake-up call. It ought, it ought to jolt our system. You see, we think rejecting God it looks, you know, just something really outwardly that's just real heinous and awful. But we would look at this family and we would say, wow, man, they're a great family. They say the right things. They have forgiveness in their home. They, they're they're seeking the Lord, we would look at them and say they're, they're committed. But when you get on the inside, it's rotten to the core. And the worship of God is not about him, but for Micah and his mother, it's about controlling and taming and making God more comfortable. Thirdly, how do you know if your relationship with God's a sham or real? Well, you look at your heart, you look at your worship, and lastly, you look at your king. Look at verse 6. Very interesting. You see this pop up a few times here at the end of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king. There was no king in Israel. It's a very subtle cry for the Lord to intervene. And the implication 
here is that Israel needs a godly king. That they need a king who will keep covenant with God and who will lead the people. You see, uh, the book of the purpose of the book of Judges, it's, it's, it's an apologetic for a godly king. And in the context, it's talking about King David. But we know that we trace this through. Everything goes to Jesus, right? So ultimately, it is about King Jesus because you see over and over in the book of Judges, God raises up these deliverers to, to deliver his people. And what we see is that it only works for a little while. And then they're right back to their old ways. Why? Because the judges could never fix the heart. And that's why we need King Jesus. You see, God forbids images not because of he's against things we can see, touch, and feel. God is against images because the image of God is something that only he can reveal. And he has revealed that in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, I love this verse. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so you see what that's saying. You want to know what God's like? Get close to Jesus. You want to know what he's like and the way he works? Look at Jesus. Because it's through Jesus that we know that we can have a true and real relationship with God. So the ultimate test on whether or not you've been catfished spiritually is do you know Jesus? Are you worshiping Jesus? Because that's how you have a real relationship with God. It's when you worship Jesus and relate to him as your king. Christianity says that the only way you can worship God without making an image of him is to let Jesus be your king and to let him shape you and to let him run your life. And here's the question though. What's going to make you want to do that? What's going to make you loosen the grip on your life and let Jesus shape you? Well, I think it's through realizing how deeply he loves you. I want to share with you a a song that I heard recently, parts of a song that I heard recently, and I will not sing it because I can't sing very well, but I'm going to tell you these lyrics because I think they're amazing. It was a song that was shared with me by someone in the church by Jess Ray, and the title of the song is Runaway. And it's really spoken from the perspective of God and God speaking to you. It says this, I can see it in your eyes that you're going to run. You're going to run. I can hear it in the way you speak to me that you're going to leave. I've seen this all before and it's all too familiar. But you will never see the bottom of my storehouse of love. No choice that you make or path that you will take will change my mind. Even if one day you decide you will find somewhere else to hide, I will walk. I will walk your way and I will call you by name and wait for your reply. Sound familiar? Anybody else run away from God? Even if you make up your mind and you don't want to be by my side, I will leave behind the 99 so that you would be mine. Even if you stomp and scream and huff and tell me that I'm not good enough, 
I'll take every swing. I'll take every blow until you know my love. Even if you beat upon my chest and tell me you don't understand, I will love you and teach you to love me again. I'm going to love you and teach you to love me again. You want to change? You want to stop trying to control God and make Him into your image? You've got to see that King Jesus is not just a king trying to keep you from having all the fun with the rules. Does he have rules? Yes. But you want to change? You've got to realize that this king has a bottomless storehouse of love for you. And you want proof? Well, look at the cross. Because it's at the cross that we see Jesus' love most clearly. Because we see there that Jesus, that God was just and had to punish sin. But we also see love. Because God took your place in the person of Jesus and was punished and nailed to a cross because he loves you and because he wants to be with you. At the cross, you see the real Jesus. Your heart will never change. You will never take your hands off the will of your life until you realize how deeply Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that through Jesus we can have a real relationship with you. Would you forgive us this morning for giving lip service to you, but often having hearts that are far from you? Forgive us this morning for trying to create you in our own image. Would you come through your spirit and convince us? We need convincing. Convince us of your love for us so that we might change so that we might turn over our 900 pieces of silver that we're holding back because we don't trust you. We can't do that on our own. We need you to come and change our hearts. Change us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.